If what you like best about the Gospels are all those wonderful stories about Jesus, this is not your passage. I mean, you heard it. It's a long and winding speech. It's a speech. In the first half of John's Gospel, he keeps the pace moving and he tells stories. He covers three years of ministry and just a few chapters, and he tells these great stories. In the Gospel of John, he tells that story about Nicodemus coming to see Jesus at night. He tells about Jesus going to see this Samaritan woman at a well in the middle of the day. And it's lovely, and it's moving, and it's touching. And then you get to the upper room, and Jesus gets up, clears his throat, and talks for five long chapters. You know how when you're listening to a long speech, time slows down? That's what's going on here. Time slows down. Gospel uh, theologians, biblical scholars have for years called John the Maverick Gospel because he colors outside the lines. He doesn't tell the story the same way Matthew, Mark, and Luke do. But I think in this case, he's not just a maverick. This is a hot mess. It's just a hot mess. Did you ever have to diagram sentences when you were in school? Try diagramming any of these sentences. And the repetition. How many times can you use the word abide in just a few sentences? If you abide in me and my word abides in you, then I will abide in you and you will abide in me as I abide in the Father. Any questions? Uh, yeah, John, just one. What in the world is Jesus talking about? Well, as it turns out, the word abide is key. It really is the key. It's used 11 times in these few verses, and you could translate it abide or remain. Some translations do that. I think the better translation would be stay connected. The same way that fruit only grows if it stays connected to the vine, Jesus says, stay connected to me. Only here's where it gets a little more complicated on Trinity Sunday. He says, as I stay connected to the Father. Earlier in this long speech, he also talks about the Spirit, and theologians have been thinking about how this Trinity, well, how do we function and understand it? So here's the big word, parachoresis. Now, normally you'd have to enroll in seminary and pay tuition, but this is free of charge. Parachoresis. It's a big word that literally means to dance around. And instead of thinking of the Trinity as this hierarchy, Father, Son, poor Spirit, coming in third, or some other kind of way, it's about the three in a divine dance. They are holding hands and dancing in a circle, and none, none of them lead and none of them follow. They just intermingle. And theologians say that that's what's going on here. In the same way that the Trinity functions in this divine dance, we are called to function as well. Last week I mentioned how the gospel writers like to take Old Testament stories and remake them. We looked at Luke and how on Pentecost he remakes the story of the Tower of Babel in Genesis. Well, John does something similar, and we should have known. I mean, the very first words he writes when he writes his gospel are, in the beginning. Well, there's an echo to Genesis 1. Or when he tells about Jesus going to meet a woman at a well. Genesis is full of stories of men going to meet women at wells. I think this passage, even though it's not a story, 
is an allusion to the Garden of Eden. There's this notion of the vine and fruit, but also how, think about how the first couple abided with God in the garden. They walked with God. They lived with God. There was community. If you really want to know how radical John is as a maverick, there is perhaps nothing more radical than this. In his gospel, he refuses to use the word apostle. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when they name the twelve, they call them apostles. You know, that's, a, that's an office, not John. John refuses to call them apostles because within the church, within the community called church, there will be no hierarchy. Just as within the Trinity, there will be no hierarchy. And get this, there will be no hierarchy between us and God. Jesus says, no longer do I call you servants. I call you friends. Let that sink in. No longer do I call you servants. I, I call you friend. I have a good friend, a Presbyterian minister, Jim Gordon. He spoke at our faith pub a couple of months ago. He's pastor of a Pine Ridge Presbyterian up near Zona Rosa, and we've been friends for years. And when their associate left a couple of years ago, I preached there probably 10 or 12 times a year. So I know the church. I know Jim. We go to lunch. We talk shop. One time we're at lunch, and he says, so what do you think about the children's sermon? Should we get rid of it? What do you think? And, and I mean, I could describe the children's sermon there, but it's like every other children's sermon. It's like ours. Robe minister sits on the chancel. A few kids come forward. The girls maybe pull their skirt over their head. The boys pull on somebody. You know, they're wandering. And you're never sure. Are they getting any of this, right? So it's a valid question. Should we keep the children's sermon? And I said, yes. One reason. And he said, what's that? And I said, well... Because when a robed minister who looks for all the world like God, some representative of God to a little kid, when a robed minister sits down with them and smiles and is friendly, they are learning that God is friend. And that's worth it. That's worth it. In Jim's office, his study, well, it looks like a tornado's gone through there. I mean, it's, it's chaos. There's stuff everywhere. And he's got things on the wall that you just can't... You, you'd spend a, a day in a museum going through it. But one of the things that caught my eye one time was a picture of Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers. And I said, what's the deal with Fred Rogers? And he goes, that's Mr. Rogers. And I go, I know it's Mr. Rogers, but why is he on your wall? And he said, that is the greatest Presbyterian minister that ever lived. Because he was friends with kids and he was gentle and, and he showed them that that's the way to be. That, that, by the way, is what's behind these Fred talks we're doing these next four Wednesday nights. It's just gospel lessons, but drawn from that great ministry of Fred Rogers. God is our friend. But not everybody, not everybody can process that. Several years ago, I did a funeral for a friend. Her mother had passed away, and they said, would you fly to Illinois and do the funeral? And I had known Wilma in her latter years, but not, not really well. So one of the first things I did was sit down with her daughter and say, tell me some stories about Wilma. I knew that in her latter years, 
she didn't go to church. So I was a little bit surprised to find out that she'd grown up in church, she sang in the choir every week, and in fact, often with her mom, did duets, sang duets. And then as a teenager in high school, she got pregnant. She married the boy, but the news of the pregnancy ahead of marriage leaked out, and, and the minister said to her, you will never sing in this church again, ever. And I was listening to this story, and I couldn't believe it. And then she said, the daughter, just a week ago, my mom brought that up and said, do you think God will receive me? Do you think God will receive me? And the answer is yes. <laughs> the answer is yes. Isn't that something? She had taken that to heart. That had been gospel to her. Opposite, really, not good news. For 30 years, I taught at the seminary, preaching and worship, but really underneath it all, I think what I was mostly interested in was teaching seminarians about the human condition. So every once in a while... I would give them this little pop quiz, not the kind where you get graded, you don't even have to get a piece of paper out, it's a real simple one. I would say, question number one, do you think God loves you? And they'd all go, oh, this is going to be a piece of cake. Yep. And they'd quote scripture, you know, of course, it's the gospel, God loves us. Then I said, okay, question number two, do you think God likes you? Oh, oh, wow, oh. that's the wrong answer. If somehow you've worked it out that, yeah, God tolerates us and says I love you, but really can't stand us, that, that's the wrong answer. God not only loves us, God likes us. The Greek has all kinds of words for love, and two of them, one's about this divine, incredible love, and the other one's friendship. And in the Gospel of John, they are used interchangeably. God not only loves us, God likes us. This whole long and winding speech, and it's long and winding, it helps to remember that it takes place at this meal. It's at this meal that Jesus says he's the true vine. It's at this meal that he invites us to abide in him as he abides in God. This, this is an amazing thing. You can boggle your mind all you want, strain your brain with trying to figure out the Trinity. But mostly you need to just get this through. God loves you and invites you to this dinner and this divine dance. That's good news. Last Sunday after church, our youngest and her husband invited us over for lunch. It was just Chipotle, but it was an amazing, amazing lunch. Our son and his wife and our grandkids have finally moved here. They live in Kansas City, around the corner from us. Our middle daughter and her husband were there. We were all there, and we were abiding. And it was, you know, it was lovely. And then afterwards, Michelle, the youngest, said, I want to show you our garden. They moved into their house a year ago, and they just didn't really have time. They put one tomato plant in last year. But this year, built a little wall to keep the dog and the bunnies out. And she planted a garden. Now, it's not, it's not the kind that's so big you got to have signs, you know, to tell you what's what. I mean, she just pointed. She said, there's tomatoes, cucumbers, squash, some kale. 
And the reason I tell you that is because later that afternoon, I went for a walk in our neighborhood. And on the north side of our neighborhood, they have not yet developed. It's just fields. I'm sure it's going to be houses someday, but right now it's just fields. And somebody whose house butts up against that, they put in a garden. And I was walking, and I thought, oh, that's nice. And I was looking, and the guy comes out of his house, sees me looking at his garden. And you're not going to believe this. It was John, the writer of the gospel. I know. What are the chances, right? I mean, and he sees me looking at his garden. And, and it was just rows and rows, and they stretched on what looked like forever. And he had those little signs. And they were crops just like you'd expect in God's good garden. Things like love and grace peace and mercy, kindness, justice. And then I came on the one, and it said friendship. And he saw me looking at it, and he said, did you know we're friends with God? I said, yeah. And then he reached down, and he pulled off a little piece, gave it to me to taste. And I bit into it, and, and in some ways it reminded me of the freshest strawberry you've ever had in the middle of summer, just sweet and juicy, but it didn't taste like strawberry. It tasted like bread and wine. Can you believe that? 